Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. MLBC is led by Pastor Dennis Fountain and exists to help real people going through real life experience real change through our incredible God. We hope this message will be an encouragement to you, and we'd love to hear how God used it in your life. Luke chapter 6 this morning is where we're going to be, Luke chapter 6, and so find your place there continuing our study, Encountering Christ, just looking at the possibilities of a life with Jesus and uh, understanding the teaching of Christ and why, uh, remember with me, Luke is writing the book to prove that Jesus is the Messiah, to prove that Jesus is uh, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He does it through his work. Uh, uh, Luke writes that Jesus proved who he was through his deity, through his birth through his works and the miracles that he does. And so we've been going through this series just learning about that really in the early ministry of Jesus Christ. Last week, if you were here, uh, we learned a great principle last week, understanding this, that when God gets in, listen, when God gets involved in anything, he turns the common into the uncommon. Man, isn't that so good and so true that when God gets involved, he turns common things into uncommon things. And when he gets involved in your life. He can turn your life or my life, just a common, ordinary life, and God can use it in extraordinary ways. And we saw that in a number of points and a number of thoughts last week. That if you weren't here, I'd say go back and listen to that. Luke chapter six is where we're gonna be in just a minute. I wanna ask you a quick question. Have you ever realized how much food teenagers eat? If you have a teenager in your home or if you have ever raised teenagers, then you know this to be true, the never-ending appetite of teenagers. Uh, A few weeks ago, Father's Day weekend, um, Hannah was gone for the weekend because of uh, her art business. She had an art show uh, in Seattle, and so she was away. So I had all three of our teenagers, and we had... uh, Pastor Brian's little brother, Sammy, was staying with us, and another friend, Camden, and then my niece, who's a teenager, was in town, and then we had some other friends that were there. So at some points during that weekend, I was feeding seven teenagers plus myself. And so I thought, I've got this. I don't mind cooking. I like it. And so I made, uh, I made a big, huge uh, uh, serving of our chicken fried rice. And for those of you men that have come to our men's night out, I make that for a men's night out every now and then and uh, had that chicken fried rice. And I made almost as much as I would have made to feed 25 men. <laughs> I'm not exaggerating. I made a bowl. It was about this big and about that deep. And it was just piled with chicken fried rice. And I put it down in front of these teenagers. You want to know how much we had left over? One serving. A bowl about that big with about that much, and the only reason it didn't get eaten is because something else came up that they could do. They were like, oh, it's time to do that. We got to go. And they devoured that food. Another meal I made that weekend, uh, I have a Blackstone. I mean, you know what a Blackstone is? If you don't know what a Blackstone is, just look it up. It'll change your life, revolutionize how you cook. Uh, there's my plug. I cooked four dozen scrambled eggs on this Blackstone and uh, over 20 pancakes. And when I say pancakes, I'm not talking about those little rink-a-dink ones. No, when I make a pancake, it's about as big as your plate. I made 20 of those. Four dozen eggs and 20 of those, six people. You wanna know how much was left over? Two pancakes. 
And the pancakes that were left over were two of the starters that were the smaller ones. And the only reason they didn't eat them is because they were cold. I was like, we still have a microwave. Yeah, but then it's not as fresh, you know. And teenagers, if you've ever been around a teen, we have three now that we're raising in the house. Here is the common comment that I hear in my house. Oh, I could just never eat enough. Dad, I'm so hungry all the time. Maybe you've been around a teenager like that. You were a teenager at one point. There's actually adults that are still that way. We have one in our church. I'm not gonna say his name, but it rhymes with Bobbert Felliot. <laughs> if you know Pastor Rob, the guy can eat. And I tease Pastor Rob often. You ask any of the staff guys, Pastor Carlos is here, Pastor Brian's around here somewhere. Uh, man, you ask any of them, when you're around Rob, what's he doing? He's eating. I'm like, Rob, where do you put it? And he just keeps eating. I'm like, you've been eating the same bag of chocolate-covered pretzels all week. It started that big and that full, and now you're down to a handful. He just keeps eating. You know what? Maybe you've been there. I asked Rob permission to say that, by the way, just so you know. Maybe you've been at the, at the place where you just couldn't get enough. You ever had that happen? Man, I just can't get enough. I just could keep eating. As we start this morning in Luke Chapter number six, what I want us to recognize is this, that every single one of us, every individual in here, comes to that place of never enough all of the time. And I'm not talking about food. I heard it said this week, uh, I was listening to a podcast, and I've said this before, but another man phrased it this way. In every single human being, we are created with a God-sized hole in our life. A God-sized hole in our life. What does that mean? It's a hole that only God can fill. It's a completeness or a contentment or a joy that only God can fill. Every single human being is born with that hole, with that desire in their life that only Jesus and only God can fill. And here's what happens. A person uh, trusts Jesus Christ as Savior. They put their faith completely in him. And for a moment, they have that hole complete. But you know what we do all too often? As we just get busy in life, we get going in life, and we begin to push God aside in that hole, and we begin to try to fill that hole with other things. We begin to try to find joy, contentment, completion, fulfillment. We try to find it in all sorts of places. And if we're honest with ourselves and honest with the Lord, here's what we would admit that just like a teenager can never have enough food, never have that appetite fulfilled in life, it's all too easy to get caught up. Listen, it's all too easy to get caught up and live unfulfilled, incomplete, incomplete, not content. We've all been there, the place where there is never enough for us. If you were to go do a study right now <clears throat> on topics that have been written about in our American history, you will find that one of the top rated topics to be written about in all of our American history 
is the pursuit of happiness. What is the pursuit of happiness? The pursuit of happiness is the pursuit of that which is completing me. The pursuit of inner joy. The pursuit of contentment. The pursuit of complete fulfillment. What does that tell us? Here's what that tells us. We never have enough. As we come to our study in Luke chapter number six, we're going to find this morning that Jesus writes or Jesus speaks and he speaks a message and he speaks to this idea of never having enough. And what we're going to to find out today is that God actually created a way, uh, there's salvation for him to fulfill that void in our life, but God created a way for you and I to live a fulfilled life complete, content life each and every day. And as you and I get encompassed and as we really drown in this idea of filling our life with things to find happiness, the truth of the matter is Jesus spoke a different way. There's a different way that you can find contentment. There's a different way that you can find completeness. There is a different way that you can find fulfillment. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So I invite you to take your Bible. Let's turn to Luke chapter number six and let's stand together. We're just gonna read seven verses of Luke chapter number six, a familiar portion of scripture that we're going to get into this morning. Luke chapter six, beginning in verse number 20, here's what we read. And he, Jesus, lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, now pause, we need to remember. We, are, we have been in the early ministry of Jesus, okay, the early ministry of Christ. He's been traveling, he's been preaching, He's been uh, healing, working miracles. Last week, we noticed the difference between the word disciple and the word apostle. Okay, those of you that were with us last week, a disciple, a learner of, a follower of. An apostle, there was some criteria to be met to be an apostle. Now, pastor, why do we bring this up? Because last week, Jesus chose out 12 men that would be his apostles, That has just taken place. In our passage today, Jesus and those 12, they join back up with all of the disciples, followers, learners of Jesus, and Jesus speaks these words to them. What are the words he says? Blessed be ye poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And blessed are you that hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are ye that weep now, for ye shall laugh. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you and when they shall separate you from their company and shall reproach you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice ye in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for in the like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. But... Woe unto you that are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe unto you that are full, for you shall hunger. Woe unto you that laugh now, for you shall weep and or mourn and weep. Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. This passage, these are the beginning words of what many believe to be the Sermon on the Mount. We find that recorded for us in the book of Matthew, and we'll see 
some of the differences in just a minute, but it's in these verses and in these short, this short passage that Jesus gives us, if I could word it this way, he gives us the key to finding real contentment, real peace, real fulfillment. And here's what I wanna tell you this morning. No matter who you are, no matter how long you've been in church, how long you've known the Lord, we all battle with this discontentment within us. And we try to fill that void with a lot of different things. Some people try to fill it with work, with family, with hobbies, with sports, with the next, the next uh, uh, dopamine rush in our head, the next exciting thing. And the fact of the matter is that God, ne- listen, God never intended for the God-sized hole of your life to be filled with anything other than him. And so this morning, I wanna help us, and I've been helped by this passage I want us to discover that at those times when we say it's never enough, at those times, where are we supposed to find our contentment? Where are we supposed to find our happiness? Where are we supposed to find our fulfillment? That's what Jesus speaks to this morning. So let's pray and we'll get into the word today. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, would you pray and just in in the, the quietness of the moment, would you ask God, to speak to your heart today. Dear Lord, we come before you. We pray that you'd help us this morning as we get into the word of God. Would you speak to us? Would you use your word to challenge and shape us? And Lord, would you help us today to hear from you, to be encouraged by you and to be helped? And Lord, I pray that you would today work in our hearts, Lord, like you've never have before. Help me, I pray that you'd speak through me and to me once again. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can go ahead and be seated. As we look into this passage this morning, I just wanna give us kind of some clarity on the context uh, before we continue, because if we don't get clarity, uh, it can leave us with a little bit of confusion. I said a moment ago that this passage is the start of the Sermon on the Mount. And for those of you that might be a Bible student or have studied uh, scripture, you would say, well, this doesn't sound like the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, there's some same terminology, but it sounds different. Uh, There's one of a few reasons that we could gather for this. Number one, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew records it for us in Matthew chapter five, six, and seven. It would take you about 10 minutes to read it. This Sermon on the Mount that you read, Luke's recollection of it, really just goes for about 35 verses that we would have. You could read it in probably about two or three minutes. There's a couple of thoughts that we can give to this. Number one, number one, it could be that these are two different times. As a matter of fact, some people believe uh, this is the Sermon on the Plain, that Jesus is in a different place, that he's come down the mountain and he's in the plain. And so this is the Sermon on the Plain and Jesus speaks these truths. So it's two different accounts, all right? That could be a possibility. The other possibility is it's the same account. It's the same account, same, same time that it happened, but Matthew and Luke both remember it a little differently. 
All right, that could happen. Well, how do we know? Because that's happened to us. You've been sitting in a service before or in a training for work or something. You ever had this happen when you walk up to somebody? You're both in the same training. You and your wife are at the same service. You and your kids are in the same church service or the same uh, concert or whatever. And you walk up to them afterwards and you say, wow, I really liked when the speaker said X, Y, and Z. And they, who were sitting in the same place, go, he didn't say that. And you go, yeah, he did. I got it right here in my notes. He said that. And they go, no, he didn't. I remember when he said QRS. And you go, well, he didn't say that. I would have heard that. You both sat in the same training, the same service, the same speaker, but you heard it from two different angles. Okay, that could be the case. Third thing that it could be. So it's either two different times, first thought, It's the same time, but two different recollections, second thought. Third is this. It could be the same time, and just like I will in my preaching, you know what the best learning comes from sometimes? Repetition. It could be that Luke's recording a portion of the message and Matthew's recording a portion of the message. And so when Matthew records, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven that Jesus speaks, uh, Luke records a little bit later when Jesus says, now remember, blessed are ye poor, for yours is the kingdom. And maybe Jesus spoke it twice. Now you say, pastor, why, why give us those three scenarios? Because regardless of the scenario, if there are two different situations, two different circumstances, we need to know this truth that I'm about to say. Regardless of the scenario, if it's two different circumstances, two different recollections, or two different times in the message, here's what we need. It was the same message. It's the same message. If it was two different times, that means that Jesus, well, we know this. I gotta help you on something. Just This really helps me as a pastor. You know what we're reading here in Luke and I said it would take us like three minutes to read the whole message, four minutes to read the whole thing. I can promise you Jesus didn't just preach in five minutes. Now, some of you are like, because I was gonna bring that up to you afterwards. You go and read Matthew's recollection of it. Jesus didn't just preach in 15 minutes that it would take to read that. Here's what John said, and we've, we keep hitting this. John said, if we were to record all of the words and the works of Jesus, if the heavens were the scroll, it would not contain, there wouldn't be enough pages for you to record. So, even if it is the two different times, we need to know that Jesus spoke at a lot of places, and he would have preached the same message because he was preaching himself. If it's the same, rec- the same message, but uh, two different recollections, it's the same truth. If it's Jesus repeating himself, it's the same truth. And so uh, I, I lay the groundwork for this entire, the next few weeks to help us understand it is the same message that Jesus is preaching. And as Jesus starts on this very important message that would be contradictory to the thinking of the people of that time, here's what we need to see. Jesus opens up with two words, four examples of each. The two words are the word blessed and the word woe. Jesus gives four blessings and four woes. 
They all, go, they all coincide. They go next to each other. The word blessed in the passage, it means this. It means divine joy or perfect happiness, supremely blessed, fortunate, or happy. We might use the word fulfilled, complete. So Jesus says, I want to write to you and I want to speak to you. Remember, he's speaking with the words that are written. Jesus says to them, I want to give to you the ways that you can be divinely joyed, enjoyed, or excuse me, have divine joy. I want, to, I want to speak to you four ways that you can have perfect happiness or be supremely blessed or be completely fortunate or happy. But then the woe that he speaks to is this, the word woe in our passage, it means the most unfavored and the grieved. So here Jesus gives us two paths, two thoughts. You can go through life blessed, fulfilled, divine joy, complete happiness. Or you can go through life the most unfavored, (laughs) grieved. If you were presented two doors today, on one door it said complete fulfillment, on the other one it said complete grief, which door are you choosing? This morning I hope that each one of us would say I wanna choose the one that says complete fulfillment. So how do we have it? What are the four things that Jesus says that we can do that will help us have a fulfilled, happy life? Number one, I want you to notice with me today this, that those who are blessed, first, they have an accurate view of themselves. Those who are blessed, Jesus says, they have an accurate view of themselves. Where do we see this? In verse number 20. Verse number 20, it says this, blessed be ye poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Well, if we just read that at face value and don't compare scripture with scripture, all of us go, check, got that one down, because I am broke as a joke. I am poor. And since I am poor, I must be blessed. Okay, we need to know, is Jesus speaking about the temporal and the physical is he, is he giving a lesson on economics? No. No, he's not. He's repeating a truth that Matthew records for us in Matthew chapter five and verse number three when he says this, blessed are the poor, what's the next two words? In spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about being poor in spirit. I love how one man worded it when he said this, the people that are blessed are people who understand their spiritual poverty. They understand the bankrupt condition of their soul. They understand that they have absolutely no resources with which to buy God's favor. What is, what is Jesus talking about when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the, the poor in their heart? What does he mean? He's speaking of humility. He's speaking of humility. This phrase simply means, blessed are the humble in heart. You know, their culture, their culture is much like ours. Here's what their culture believed, and I don't have time to get into all of the ins and outs of it today, but 
their culture believed, it was kind of a common thinking and even a common teaching that people who were completely fulfilled, completely happy, they were the super duper rich people, had a lot of money. They were the super known people, the really popular, or they were the super religious, right? Remember the Pharisees, people looking at the Pharisees, those of you that that have read scripture, you look in the scripture and, and when the Pharisees, people look at them and they look at all of their phylacteries and all the decorations that they're wearing and they think, wow, that they must be complete. And so here was the thought in their culture and it's the same in ours today. The good old common folk, you know who that is? That's the me and you, the usins. Here's the teaching. You and I, unless we, unless we achieve rich, riches, and unless we achieve notoriety, and unless we achieve this heightened religious complex, we can't be happy. That was taught in their culture. Now, now wait, you say, well, pastor, I, I don't really, I, don't, I mean, I don't, I don't log on and watch news. I don't hear somebody say that. I'd present a contrary point. Here's what our culture says. You know what's gonna make you happy? Buy that new boat. Hey, you know what's gonna make you happy? Come get this new car. It's only $29.95, $29.95 with all of the extras. If you buy this car, you'll be complete. Hey, you wanna be happy? You need to make sure that you meet this body type because then you'll be the, the perfect weight. Hey, you wanna be happy? Then you need to make sure that you get season tickets to your favorite team because, man, only a real fan, a happy fan is gonna be there. You wanna, you wanna have real happiness and real contentment? Boy, you better eat and drink our product. You better do that, right? That's what culture pushes on us. What are they saying? You want complete contentment? You haven't achieved it yet. The more you get, the happier happier you are. The more well-known you get, the better off you are. In the religious world, we have tons of religions that push religion to say, you want to find complete happiness? Make sure you meet our checklist. Hey, we live in no, diff, no, diff, no, uh, no different of a culture than they did. That's what they taught. And yet here comes Jesus, and he says, all right, you want complete happiness? Blessed are the humble in heart. That's different than what our culture says, huh? Because our culture says you want complete happiness? Put you first. Buy it up. You can buy your happiness. You can eat your happiness. You can live out your happiness. You wanna know why sometimes we buy the new car? We save up for that thing and after a month, it doesn't smell like a new car anymore. It smells like milk because the kids spilled milk and didn't tell you. I remember years ago, we, brought a, we bought a brand new car to us. It was uh, the, the, the Honda Pilot we still have. It was the newest car to me that I had ever owned. And I was like, we are gonna keep this car amazing. And at the time, I had a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, and a four-year-old. We got that car on a Tuesday. On Wednesday, I called Pastor Rob and Miss Beth up and Pastor Micah and Miss Rebecca that were on staff, and I said, hey, 
We're all going to, you guys remember this, Rob? We're all going to drive to Spokane in our new car. We're going to go hang out, go watch a movie, go eat dinner. And they were like, all right, we're in. We got in that car. We got halfway to Spokane. I just passed Ritzville and the youngest child of mine who was sitting in this room, his name rhymes with Micah. He's sitting in the back, little four-year-old. He goes, dad, yeah, bud, I don't feel so And my brand new car smelled like brand new insides that came out. You say, pastor, why tell us that? To make us disgusted in church? No, to say the new that we think will fulfill doesn't last. Here's what Jesus said will last. Don't put you, don't put you first. Put others first. Have humility. Notice what he says. But woe unto you that are rich, for you have received your consolation. So the opposite of being humble would be to be rich, to be proud. You ever put you first in a conversation, I mean, like, listen, I have, the, I have a gift. I think it's the unwritten spiritual gift in the Bible, and I've told you about it, sarcasm. How many of you have the unwritten spiritual gift of sarcasm? Yeah. You know what the spiritual gift of, unspiritual gift, unspiritual gift of sarcasm can do? Open mouth, insert foot. You ever put yourself first in a conversation? No, never. Okay, I'll just tell on me. You know what I've done before? Hannah and I have gotten in a little argument, and I'm like, ooh, I've got a zinger, and I'm going to say it, and I'm going to say it, I'm going to win this argument, and so I say, oh, yeah, well, right after you, do you in the inside go, man, that was great, (laughs) and you walk away all happy, no, you know what, for like a split second, Right? You zing, and then you're like, ha! And then you go, oh, I am a moron. I literally didn't even think about that before I said it. I, I mean, I thought I thought about it, but I didn't think about it. Here's the point. When we put ourselves first, that little itty-bitty bit of, ha, that's your prize. That's what the verse says. Cursed are the rich, the proud. It's the opposite of poor in spirit. Cursed are the proud. Why? Because you have your consolation. Hey, you got your prize. Here's the trophy. Woohoo! You really threw that zinger out, and now you made someone cry. You threw that zinger out, and now you lost a friend. You threw that zinger out, and now you hurt your kids. You see, here's what Jesus is saying to us and to them. Culture says, put yourself first and you will find happiness. But Jesus says, happiness and fulfillment comes through humility. When he says, blessed are you poor for yours is the kingdom of God, a humble person is experiencing the blessings of heaven now. Humility literally brings heaven to earth. Because that's exactly what Jesus did, humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And when he humbled himself, Jesus Christ, God, became man, heaven to earth. When you and I put on humility, for theirs is the kingdom of God, we are experiencing the benefits and the blessings of heaven now. No wonder he would say blessed. 
Hey, blessed are those that have a proper view of themselves, those that have an accurate view of themselves. Number two this morning, very quickly, blessed are those that have a healthy desire in the soul. Healthy desire in the soul. Oh, catch this one in verse number 21 when Jesus said this, blessed are you that hunger for ye shall be filled. Blessed are you that hunger, for ye shall be filled. All right, now if we know blessed in the poor means blessed in the poor are the poor in spirit, we need to know then that same thing in this principle. Jesus is not talking about the temporal. He's not talking about the physical. He's talking about the spiritual. And so Matthew helps us in Matthew chapter five and verse number six. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. I would say this morning, if you don't walk away with anything else, catch the principle that Jesus is teaching here, which is this. Divine joy, real happiness, and complete fulfillment comes to those who have a desperation for God. This is an intense desire for knowing God, knowing his righteousness. The blessed are those that have a deep, consuming longing for closeness with God. They want to be right with God. They want to have an intimate, real relationship with God. They want fellowship with God. Those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, they desire to know God more and to follow him more and to be satisfied with him and his presence. We all have a We've, we've all had a craving. You ever had a craving before? I wake up in the morning with two cravings every day. <clears throat> every day I wake up, I am a adamant water consumer. I drink a lot of water. How many of you drink a lot of water? I drink a lot of water. My wife, I mean, the kids sometimes, I have water bottles. It made me thirsty just talking about water. Uh, I, I wake up every day, I sleep with a water bottle right by my bed. When I wake up, first thing in the morning, I roll over, I grab my water bottle, and I take a drink of water. I'm just craving it. Second thing I crave in the morning, a cup of coffee. Yeah, how many crave coffee? Yeah, I crave, the, here's how my life cycle goes every day. Coffee, water, coffee, water, coffee, water, coffee, water. You ever had a craving that just, it's that one thing you want, For those of you who have been expectant mothers, you know exactly what we're talking about. It's two o'clock in the morning and you're like, I really just want deep fried pickles. And your spouse is like, where are we gonna get deep fried pickles? And you say, I don't care. Get out of bed and go get me deep fried pickles. (laughs) Other people, you know, crave like freezer frost and things like that, I've heard. It's just disgusting. Anyway, I'm not gonna get into that. Man, we've all had an intense craving. You ever had an intense craving that just did not get met? So we're doing this thing right now. I'm doing this health thing, and my wife is extremely healthy, and uh, we want to eat right and all of this. So for the last few months, I've been doing no sugar or trying to do no sugar Monday to Friday, and then I do sugar on Saturday and Sunday. Not a ton, but just a little bit. And so for the last few months, if you know anything about me, my two, like, I mean, this is my vices regarding sugar is ice cream and cereal. I love cereal, really love cereal. Like if I could eat a bowl of cereal, I would eat cereal. You can ask my mom. I eat it all the time when I was a kid. I'd come home. She'd be like, what's for, I'd, what's for dinner? She'd say, I don't know. I'd be like, all right, I'm going to have cereal. What's for breakfast? All right, I'm going to have cereal. I'm going to have cereal for lunch. I like cereal. So I'll go a week 
without sugar. I wake up on Saturday morning like two weeks ago. I woke up on Saturday morning. I walked into our pantry. It's Saturday morning. It's the weekend. I am craving a bowl of cereal. I got that bowl out. I got the box out. I poured it in. I was wanting peanut butter Captain Crunch or regular Captain Crunch or a bowl of life. I'll even eat grape nuts at that point. Like I even, I like grape nuts. My family thinks I'm, does anybody else like grape nuts? You are my people. Like I'm just saying, if you like grape nuts, we, we are peeps. We are people, all right? I, I got my bowl. I filled it up. It wasn't just a little itty bitty bowl. It was, it was a man-sized bowl. I got that bowl. I walked over. I set it on the counter, had my cereal in it. I opened the fridge. Exactly. I'm like, we are out of milk. I wanted to beat up some teenagers at that point. It's Saturday. It's my, don't they know? This is my, this is cereal day. And I look in there and I'm looking, you know, scouring. I find in the back corner of the very bottom shelf, the milk doesn't go on the bottom shelf. It goes right in the front. I found blue cap milk. You know what blue cap milk is? 1%. If you buy 1% milk, you need to check your salvation. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. I'm kidding. I, got, I, I opened that up, and I got one, this, one, this blue lid, 1% milk, and I look at it, and I swish it around. You know how much was in there? The film. The film that's on the inside of it. I'm like the comedian a couple years ago that said, how, what am I supposed to do? Eat a cornflake with that much milk? And so I'm frustrated. You know what I did? I went to the pantry. I got saran wrap and I saran wrap my bowl of cereal. And I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eat that at some point today. And throughout the day, all day, you know what I was thinking about? That bowl of cereal. You know what I did on Saturday night? I got myself some red cap milk. That's whole milk. It's always a red cap or a white cap. I got red cap milk. I went to the pantry. I got my bowl of cereal. I poured it on there. And I sat and enjoyed the longest bowl of cereal. And you know what I did afterwards? I think I got more. And after I got done with it, here's what I did. <sighs> Say, Pastor, why tell us a goofy story about cereal? We've all been there. You have a craving, and that is the only thing I want. Here's what Jesus said. The blessed, listen, listen, don't miss it today. Our culture misses it. Don't miss this. The blessed, the truly fulfilled, the really content, they hunger, they crave for the presence of God in their life. Hey, I wonder, do you hunger? Do you crave for the presence of God in your life? I love how one man said it when he said this, hunger and thirst are only abolished by food and drink. Even so, this hunger and thirst after righteousness is only abolished by the finding of righteousness or growing in Christ. Jesus said it this way, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. The thought is to hunger after to hunger and thirst after righteousness, there's a misprint there, sorry. To hunger and thirst after righteousness is the soul painfully aware of its emptiness with a gnawing hunger 
neighbor with a life that pleases and honor and knows God. Hey, you know what we're talking about right now? Our culture, and I hate to say this today, and I'm not trying to be mean to anybody, but even in our American 21st century Christian culture, we have a lot of Christians that do not hunger after God. We come to church, we check our list, we get up, we go through our life, we go through our days, but to meet with God, we don't even really realize. We come to church and it's just like, well, I'm coming to fulfill some sort of duty. Here's what Jesus said about that. Woe to you that are full. Woe to you that are full for you shall hunger. Hey, if you try to fill up on things that are not God, you know what's gonna happen? You're gonna be empty. That's what, that's what Solomon said, right? In the book of Ecclesiastes and in the book of Proverbs, I pursued all of the enjoyments of life and yet I ended up empty. Vanity of vanity, he said, all, of van- all is vanity. Hey, Christian, you want to know today why you and I, and I'm included in this, you want to know why you and I go through life often discontent, incomplete, unfulfilled? Hey, it's because that 401k, it is not going to complete you. That new car, that new house, those things are not going to buy you happiness. They are not going to uh, be that joy that steadies your soul when the storms of life attack it. No, 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 my friend, the only the only thing that will do that is the presence of God. No wonder Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after me. Hey, I wonder today, what have you been hungering and thirsting after? What have you been seeking to fulfill you? May we join our hearts with the psalmist to say as the heart, the deer panteth or longs for the water. Even so, my soul longs, panteth after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? I see this morning that the blessed are those who live with humility. The blessed are those who live with a hunger and thirst after righteousness. Thirdly, the blessed are those who live with a biblical sorrow that impacts the life. A biblical sorrow that impacts the life. Where do we see this? Verse verse 21. Blessed are you that weep now, for you shall laugh. What's Jesus speaking of? Well, Matthew helps us. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, this mourning that it's speaking of, the word is this. It means to express grief or the pain of mind produced by loss, misfortune, injury, or evils of any kind or sorrow. The sorrow that it's speaking of here, listen, we've got to follow this in context. The blessed are the humble. The blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. The blessed are those that mourn. If I humble my heart before God and seek him, I'm going to realize even more who I am. And then my heart will mourn over my need for God. My heart will weep over my need for God. This is what Jesus is speaking to is the idea, not blessed, just blessed are those that cry. All of us cry. All of us have sorrow. All of us have mourning. It's not just you're blessed if you cry a lot. That's not the thought. No, if your humility drives you to your need for God, that should bring mourning into your life. What is this? This is sorrow. Listen, it's sorrow that leads to repentance. You ever been sorry for something and it stopped right there? Think about it. If I were to speak to my wife and say something just derogatory and mean to her, I win that argument. I do that zinger. I'm lifted up in pride. 
And then later I go, oh, man, I shouldn't have said that. If I'm really repentant and really sorry, what do I do? I go to her and I say, Hannah, I'm sorry I said that. Will you forgive me? And to the best of my ability, I'm not gonna do that again. That is sorrow that leads to repentance. Here's what we need to understand. Jesus said, blessed are those that have sorrow that impacts their life. Hey, it's not just humility and a hunger for Jesus that leads me to nothing. It's humility and a hunger that Jesus that leads me to my need. Hey, I just need more Jesus and I mourn over my lack of Christ in my life and I mourn and I weep over the fact that my life needs him and then I make a decision based upon that truth. It is sorrow that leads to decisions. Jesus said this then. He said, woe unto you that laugh now for you shall mourn and weep. The idea of those that laugh now, it's the idea of the Pharisees. Huh, I don't need Jesus. Huh, I've got everything. And here's what Jesus said. Hey, you laugh now, but you're gonna be empty. Do you see the opposing truths that Jesus is saying? Hey, be filled with pride. You'll be, or be filled with humility. You'll be blessed. Be filled with pride. You'll end up empty. Hey, be filled with a heart that hungers and thirsts after righteousness. Try to, try to fill that with everything else, you'll end up empty. Be filled with sorrow that leads to repentance. If you're not filled with that, if you just think you're good, you're gonna wind up empty. The blessed are those who allow biblical sorrow to impact their life, and I'm hurrying. Lastly today is this. The blessed are those who, live a, who have a concern to live for God and not man. Verse 22 and 23. Blessed are you when men shall hate you. And when they shall separate you from their company and shall reproach you and cast, your, cast out your name as evil for the son of man's sake. Rejoice you in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. What does this speak of? Well, it's this. If I'm living a humble life, it's contrary to the culture. If I'm living a life that seeks God and not stuff, it's contrary to culture. If I'm living a life that is repentant and sorrowful and continues uh, that repetition in that pattern, that is contrary to culture. And here's what's gonna happen. People are gonna notice that and not everybody's gonna like it. This is not speaking to the idea that you and I are just supposed to live a life that offends everybody. There are some Christians that want that. Listen, I'm not telling you right now you need to put a billboard on yourself and go outside and go pick it and march around that just says Jesus loves you, the devil hates you, and you're gonna go to hell, you know, and you just wear this billboard. Is that true? Yes, but probably not the best way to do that. You might offend people. I'm not talking about that, but here's what I am saying. If you live a life of humility and you live a life that seeks God, and you live a life that allows your sorrow to affect your life, not everybody's gonna be comfortable. And that's okay. Here's how one man said it. He said, it has to, do with, has to do generally with how uncompromising and how bold and how faithful you are to say what should be said in a religious environment or confronting the sinners. If you never say anything, you can escape it. If you compromise, you can escape it. Keep your mouth shut, you can escape it. You tell the truth. It's pretty hard to avoid in some settings. What's pretty hard to avoid? That ridicule. 
that reproach. Here's what Jesus then said. Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you, for so did their fathers of the false prophets. That's like a dig, just so we know. And man, I'm, I'm over on time. I apologize, going a little long today. That's all right. See, Jesus didn't preach a message in five minutes, neither can Pastor Dennis. I'm just trying to be like Christ. That's all I'm saying. Here's what I wanna say about this. When he calls out the false prophets, here's what, here's what happened. Go to the Old Testament. False prophets would get up and they would say, thus saith the Lord. And the real prophet would get up and be like, no, God didn't say that. And the people were like, oh, well, his truth is easier to be heard. We like what he says. And we'll say flowery things about him. And here's what Jesus said to these on this day. If everybody agrees with you in your religion, if culture agrees with you in your religion, you might not be doing it right. Uh, what, do we, what do we mean by that? I love how one man said it. When everybody likes your approach to religion, you're in serious trouble. <laughs> hey, can I tell you right now, it is not politically correct. It's not politically correct to say that marriage is between a man and a woman. And that, that's gonna offend some people. But is that truth? Yeah, it's God's truth. It is not politically correct to say that there are two genders and God created you as one of those genders and he didn't make mistakes. It's not politically correct to say that sin is sin in this world. It's not politically correct. But here's where the principle comes in. Who are you seeking to please? Oh, now listen, can I stand for biblical marriage and still be a person of grace? Yes, and I should be. I'm not gonna walk around and be like, hey, reprobate, hey, 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 hey. I'm not gonna do that. No, I'm gonna live for Jesus. But in me living for Jesus, sometimes that means speaking truth in love. And just because I speak truth in love doesn't mean I'm against somebody. Right, that's what culture says. Well, if you don't speak this, then you're a, you're a bigot, you're a this, you're a that. No, 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 no. No, truth is not relative. Here's what Jesus said. You wanna be blessed? Who are you living to please? Because if you're living to please God, men may reproach you. Hmm. I looked this morning and here's what I see Jesus saying. The blessedness, it can be yours. You can have that God-sized hole filled with God in your life. How do we do that? Live humbly. How do I find this blessing? Seek God. How do I find this completeness? Allow that seeking and that humility to turn your heart to action, sorrow that turns to action. And live with a life that is concerned about pleasing God and not pleasing man. Hey, this week, the voice of our culture is gonna cry out, and the voice of your soul is gonna cry out to find fulfillment in many other places. My question is, whose voice are you gonna listen to, the voice that lies or the voice of the Lord? This week, choose humility. This week, choose to seek the presence of God. This week, choose to be one that allows the godly sorrow to activate repentance in your life. And this week, choose to please him and not people.